As we continue in our series called The Church, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today I want us to turn to Acts chapter 15. And now if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, uh, here's what I would have you do. If you're in a physical Bible, open up to the very beginning to the table of contents. There you're gonna find that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament, go to the book of Acts, and then flip through until you get to chapter 15 of that book. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down a list of the books of the Bible, and there you're going to find that Acts is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So Acts chapter 15. Have you ever found yourself doing exactly the thing that you did not want to do, or maybe being the person that you didn't want to be? Uh, sadly, this past week, I found myself being in that situation. I, I pride myself on being a biblically accurate pastor. I, I pride myself on living as righteous a lifestyle and having as godly a character as possible. And this last week during a leaders meeting, I let my anger get the best of me. I lashed out at some members and I became the thing that I never wanted to be. My anger, my sin made me something that I didn't want. And all too many times, we know the warning signs of, of, of what we're told not to do or, or who not to be, but it's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's so difficult to recognize our own ways that we fall short of who we're trying to be for the Lord. And there are so many places, so many examples in God's word that helps us to try and understand how to avoid being who we don't want to be and begin moving towards who we do want to be in Jesus. And so today is one of those accounts from the early church where we go and we find who Jesus does not want us to be and instead drives us towards what we're supposed to be focused on. And, and today I want to take some time to really do some self-examination regarding what today's passage opens up to us. So take your Bibles or your apps and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're gonna begin in verse one. So Acts 15, verse one, we're gonna bounce a little bit in this passage just a couple of times. So uh, just stay with me. We're gonna begin with chapter five, verses one and two. Um, and so here's where we're at, Acts 15, verses one and two, and then we're gonna jump to verse five. It says this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse two, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So pause there for just a moment. Let me recap, let me explain what's happening. Paul and Barnabas uh, are not in the city of Jerusalem. They're in a Greek city. And some Jewish people who are believers had come up to where Paul and Barnabas were at and they were teaching that in order to follow Jesus, you had to follow all of these Old Testament laws. 
um, including the ones, and I'll explain this uh, in just a couple minutes, but including the ones that were specifically for Jews only. And so they were saying that Gentiles, non-Jews, had to follow even the explicitly Jewish customs and laws from the Old Testament. And Paul and Barnabas disagree completely. So they are appointed to go down to Jerusalem and have this discussion with the other apostles and elders and figure out what the response should be. So now jump down with me to verse five. So they're having this discussion, look what it says. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they're talking about non-Jewish believers and they're saying that these non-Jewish believers in Jesus must be circumcised according to the Old Testament customs. Let's continue, verse six. The apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter, verse seven. And after there had been much debate, Peter himself stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, who is also Peter, verse 14, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from, uh, from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, saying, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by not my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So they're having this, this great discussion. This actually is commonly known in the church as the Council of Jerusalem. The church leaders, the apostles and the elders have come back to the city of Jerusalem for this very important meeting. They're gathered to determine whether the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, must follow the Old Testament Jewish laws. This is what... Uh, we, we struggle with a lot today uh, where we're trying to decipher how to figure the relationship between the old and the new testaments. So what does the Old Testament law say? There's a lot of confusing parts to it. There are different types of Old Testament laws found throughout the first five books of the Bible, what's commonly called by the Jewish people, the Torah. 
And so how do we figure out what kind of laws we're talking about? That's the first thing that I want to discuss with us this morning is how do we determine what kind of laws the Old Testament is giving to us? And that'll help us figure out what the, the, the Jerusalem Council is figuring out in today's passage. Well, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, this is a, a confession of faith, a writing about what we believe uh, from the 1600s. It divides the Old Testament laws into three categories, moral, civil, and ceremonial. Now, moral, uh, of course, is the laws that distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Civil, the second uh, section, the civil laws were differentiating laws. In other words, they were laws that made a people distinctive or differentiated them. They were differentiating laws that made the Jewish people different than the other peoples around them. So these are the laws like you can't eat certain kinds of food and you can't uh, you know, sow two different types of seeds in the same field and you can't wear a garment that's made of more than one kind of material. Laws like that. And then lastly, we have the ceremonial laws. So moral, civil, and ceremonial. The ceremonial laws were the religious ceremonies, the sacrifices, uh, those rituals that took place. And they were the rules for what it looked like to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Uh, you know, you had to go through a certain process to be cleansed before you could go and give a sacrifice, for example. And so those, according to the West, Westminster Confession, those are the three types of laws that the Old Testament gives us. Now, what is an example of this? Well, if you were to go into Leviticus 19, uh, Leviticus is an Old Testament book. It's one of the first five. If you were to go into Leviticus 19, you're actually, it's one of the few chapters that gives an example of all three types of laws. So let me give you an example. Leviticus 19 verses four or verses five through eight give us a great example of ceremonial laws. In other words, those laws dealing with sacrifices and rituals and being ceremonially clean. Uh, specifically, that passage talks about how to give an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, then if you go further into Leviticus 19, verses 19 and verses 27 and 28, we see examples of the civil laws. So for example, those passages tell us that you're not supposed to breed two different types of cattle or sow a field with two different kinds of seed or wear clothes that have two different types of material in it or that you're not supposed to get tattoos and you're not supposed to trim the edges of our, your beard. You know, the fact of the matter is, is most of us would be guilty of most of these laws if we're, we're working in those areas of our lives. Those only applied to the Jewish people of the Old Testament. And then Leviticus 19, 11 through 22 gives a long list of moral laws, including stealing, uh, a condemnation against stealing, condemning against sexual sins, and, and gives clear indication about how we are to treat others. So, Leviticus 19 gives us an example of these three types of laws, moral, civil, and ceremonial. 
And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and his church began in Acts chapters one and two, that was a pivotal point where the laws of the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus and the door was opened even more to Gentile people becoming believers of God. And in doing that, he fulfilled some of the types of laws that we see in the Old Testament. For example, we still follow the moral laws of the Old Testament. We still follow what it says about what is right and what is wrong, what is good and evil in the sight of the Lord. We still follow those laws, but we are not bound any longer to the civil laws. Uh, We don't have to worry about what foods to eat. We can eat shellfish. We can eat bacon and pork. Uh, The fact of the matter is, is that those particular laws don't apply to us because Jesus fulfilled them. He did away with them. Um, And we don't have to follow those ceremonial laws anymore because the ceremonial laws were all about being ritually clean and about sacrifices. Well, Jesus makes us ceremonial clean And Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So there's no need for ceremonial law anymore. And so the law that we abide by now is the moral law. Well, in this case, the group of believers, uh, according to, I think it's verse five, uh, this group that is saying that the Gentiles must be circumcised are actually a group that come from the Pharisee uh, sect, the group of people, religious leaders and, and rabbis that belong to a group of people called the Pharisees. Now, Jesus condemned the Pharisees often throughout his teachings. And they wanted the Gentile believers to follow all three types of the the laws in the Old Testament. They wanted to stack rules up on these Gentile believers. You see, they were so obsessed with obedience to every single rule that they forgot how Jesus actually saves. They forgot what Jesus did on the cross. And that's where they broke away from what the right thing was. Look at Peter's response again with me. Go to verse 10. Peter's response is so amazing. Verses 10 and 11. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, catch what he says here, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. You see, Peter taught that it wasn't about all of these rules and mandates, but it was about grace. So let's talk about this for a minute. The following of these rules that Jesus actually taught about and condemned the Pharisees for in many places, and I'll address a couple of these in just a moment. What that is called, this this obsession with following the rules, the letter of the law, this is called legalism. And legalism is not something that the Bible is is excited about. It's not something that the Bible encourages, uh, encourages us to live in. Legalism is the tendency to place more emphasis on morals and obedience than on grace for our salvation. Uh, And there's a distinct difference that we need to be aware of. 
that both are important, but obedience to the law can never be a substitute for the grace of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to today's big idea. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this, God's gift of grace levels our legalism. In other words, it destroys it, it brings it down. The God, God's gift of grace levels our legalism. I mentioned earlier that legalism was one of the things that Jesus condemned the Pharisees and other religious leaders of often. Uh, so listen to an example of what Jesus says about legalism. This is in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. It says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel.'" But according to Peter in today's passage from Acts 15, we're not saved by the law. We're not saved by following the rules. We're saved by grace. Grace is what frees us. Grace is what brings us alive spiritually in Jesus. Listen to what Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works or, or uh, following or obedience, following laws or being obedient, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, grace is more important. It's more valuable. Yes, works come out out of grace. Works are a result of true grace in our life, but those works, those good deeds, that obedience cannot save us. Think about it like this. Think about it like a math equation. It's simple math equation, a simple addition equation. If you take Jesus, the grace that Jesus provides, and you add that to yourself, truly adding grace to a person, that is the only way that you will equal salvation. It's the only way to get salvation. There's nothing else that you can put in that equation added to you that will bring you salvation in Jesus. It's grace alone. You can't say you plus good things equals salvation. That's not how it works. You can't do enough good things. You can't donate enough money. You can't be a good enough person to get your way into heaven, to bring you salvation, to rescue you from your sins. You can't do it. It's impossible. The only way is through the grace of Jesus. It's literally the only way to salvation. But you can also think of this equation in this way. You plus grace will always result in works. So grace is the only way to salvation, but when we truly have grace, we will always show, we will always produce 
good things from our life if we truly have the grace of God. It will always be there. Works does not bring us salvation. It's a result of our salvation. It is what naturally comes out of us when we take us and we receive the grace of Jesus. So works can't save us. We have to have Jesus to save us. And when we truly have Jesus, we will always produce good things, good works, good fruit uh, is what the Bible calls it. And maybe you're listening right now and maybe you don't believe in Jesus, but maybe this talk, this discussion about it not being about the rules, but being about grace, maybe that's something that is compelling. Maybe you've got questions. And if that's you, I want you to click the link in this post that takes you to our uh, virtual connect card, to the contact us page on our website. Please go to that link, click on it, go over, fill that form out and reach out to us. We would love to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus, what grace in your life looks like and what it means. So please, if that's you, go to our website right now, click on the contact us page or click on the direct link in this post and go and fill that out and get your questions answered. We would love to do that for you. So I think the question that all of this leads us to is how do we avoid falling into the trap of legalism? How do we avoid being the believers from the Pharisees that we see here in today's passage in verse five? How do we avoid falling into that and instead follow what the apostles and the elders of that day said we should be doing? Well, I think there's a couple things that can help us to avoid the legalism that we fall into also often in our lives. The first thing that we need to do in order to avoid legalism actually harkens back to last one of the application points last week. We need to understand Jesus and grace and what really matters. That's what Peter and James and the other apostles and the elders are doing in the passage today is they're sitting down and they're having a discussion about what really matters to Jesus, what is truly important to Jesus. So what actually matters? What is it in our lives that Jesus really wants us to do, really wants us to follow, really wants us to live? What really matters to him? Grace matters. Grace matters to him. Leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus, that matters to him. Loving God and loving others, the, great, the two greatest commandments from Matthew 22, loving God and loving others, that matters to Jesus. And living out the fruit of the spirit that's found in Galatians 5, living out the fruit of the spirit matters to Jesus. Living our lives in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Living our lives like that matters to Jesus. I gave you the example, the intro earlier about how I, this past week, fell into a sin that that, that I pride myself on, on trying to be victorious over this, this, this sin of pride and anger. And if I had simply in that moment where, where I had this 
angry uh, sin coming out of me and living in that sin rather than conquering. If I had simply lived in the fruit of the spirit, if I had simply been living what I claim to believe, I would have avoided all of that. If I had been living in love, then I would have never gotten angry. If I had lived in peace, I would have never gotten angry. If I would have been living joy, I would have never gotten angry. If I had been more patient, I would have never been angry. And you can go all the way to the very last one, which is self-control. If I had been self-controlled, I would have never allowed the sin of anger to gain a foothold in my life. I think all too many times we know the good that we ought to do, but we don't do it. Paul says that, the the guy that's in this passage, he says, I know the good that I ought to do, but I don't do it. My flesh and my spirit fight against each other. The fact of the matter is, guys, is we need to really understand what truly matters to Jesus. Jesus wants us to live our lives for him living out the fruit of the spirit, loving God, loving others, leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus by pointing them to the grace of Jesus, just as Ephesians 2 tells us. So how do we avoid the legalism that condemns us? The first one is understand what really matters to Jesus. Understand grace, understand uh, salvation, understand the fruit of the spirit and loving God and loving others. Understand those things. If we can do these things, if we can live in the fruit of the spirit, we will leave almost no room for those legalistic temptations and tendencies to come out. Because the fruit of the spirit and loving God and loving others and telling others about Jesus are in opposition to legalism. And so understand and live out what truly matters to Jesus. That's the first way that we avoid falling into legalism. The second way is stop worrying what other people think about you and your holiness or your life or whatever that may be. You see, your concern, our concern as followers of Jesus is not about what people around us think, but what Jesus thinks about us. Our priority should be in living the life that he calls us to live, not the life that people around us think we should live, but the life that he calls us to live. I quoted a passage earlier from Matthew 23 where Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their legalism. But listen to what else he says in Matthew 23. If you continue and read Matthew 23 verses 25 through 28, it says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, "'for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, "'but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. "'You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate and the outside also may be clean. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and and pale uncleanness. So you also outwardly, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
You see, when we stop valuing and placing so much important on what everyone around us thinks and putting on the mask and the show and, and making the appearance of godliness, when we stop doing that and truly live godliness from deep down inside our hearts all the way out, then suddenly we again leave no room for legalism because legalism is all about being obedient enough that we look good, that, that we have this outward appearance of holiness when in fact inside of us, we may not have that holiness. And so understand what really matters to Jesus and stop worrying about what others think and focus on what Jesus thinks of you. That's the, those two are the best ways to overcome legalism in our lives. It truly is. Remember that God's gift of grace levels our legalism. That gift of grace, that, that free gift that he gives us through the blood of Jesus, that gift destroys, levels our legalism. And so what is the legalism that you struggle with? Maybe it's a, a sin struggle that you've never dealt with because maybe you're embarrassed or uh, you think you've got it handled. That's what happened to me this past week in this leaders meeting. I thought I had a good handle on my anger when in fact uh, I did not but I was concerned about what I looked like. I was concerned about coming across a certain way and that legalism destroyed, it, it did damage. And so rather than that, I need to be focusing on living for what Jesus truly matters, living out the fruit of the spirit and, and that, uh, that th those values that Jesus teaches me to have. But what legalism is it that you struggle with? Maybe it's, a judgmentalness. Maybe it's a, an appearance thing about how you look to others. Maybe you've got your focus on the wrong things. Maybe you're not focused on grace and, and the fruit of the spirit, but maybe you're focused on obedience getting you to heaven. The fact of the matter is, is we need to focus on what Jesus calls us to focus on. So let's take a moment now. Let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to reveal to us the, the state of our minds and hearts so that we can overcome these legalistic tendencies that we find in today's account from the early church because we don't wanna fall into that. So join me now in prayer and let's ask the Lord to reveal those things to us. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. And I, I thank you that you give us such beautiful and clear instruction here in Acts chapter 15 this clear instruction that shows us that your gift of grace levels our legalism, that we don't have to live that legalistic attitude any longer. We can live simply knowing that your grace saves us. And so Lord, help us to understand what legalistic tendencies we may be harboring in our own hearts and minds. Help us to understand what it is that we need to be focused on more than our uh, legalistic tendencies. Help us to focus on loving you and loving others, living out grace, leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus and living out the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Help us to focus on the things that matter to you. We thank you, Lord. 
And we pray that you would help us, transform us to be the men and women of God that, uh, that, that reflect you, that, that show others you in the world around us so that we can be a light in the world of darkness to those who are wandering aimlessly in the dark. Help us to be that light in their life, that light of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.